Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup. This is episode 14. Now every Monday we round up the week's most important technology, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andide Masugu, broadcaster and entrepreneur. And usually with me on the mic is my pal Tefo Mohapi, who is executive editor of iAfrican.com. But while I'm sad he can't be with me today, I'm happy to have on the show Peter Pile, who is not only an engineer, but also startups editor at iAfrican.com. Hi, Peter. Glad you could join us. Good day, my good man. Good to be here. Now, if you don't mind telling our listeners what kind of engineer you are. Uh, so I'm a computer engineer from uh, the University of Pretoria. I've worked in different industries. I started in defense right after school. From defense, moved into robotics, moved into biotech. So I've been around. Uh, recently, I was um, more involved in the telecom side of things. But right now, I'm a startups editor, uh, completely different from what I was doing before, and co-founder of iAfrican. Yep, and not a robot in sight. <laughs> You're also a content producer right here on the African Tech Roundup, for which we are very, very grateful. Uh, a quick shout-out to our listeners in Kenya. A big thank you from us for helping us rank in the top five podcasts in the tech news section on iTunes, as well as the technology section on iTunes. We couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much for listening in. Really excited about that. And, of course, if you're joining us for the first time, do yourself a favor and head on to africantechroundup.com to catch up on our past episodes. And while you're at it, sign up for our weekly newsletter to get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday morning with our fans. Oh, and you can also follow us uh, through our Twitter handle at African Roundup. Give us a shout and tell us what you think of the show. In our discussion segment, we'll be discussing some national intelligence four pars that have left us a little concerned about just how clued up intelligence personnel on the continent are. But first, though, this week's African Tech Roundup is supported by Lean Startup Machine Johannesburg, also known as Lean Joburg. Lean Startup Machine is a three-day workshop on building a successful business by learning how to fail fast and succeed even faster. You see, most new ventures fail because they build something no one wants. At Lean Joburg, you'll learn a process for discovering which products will succeed in the marketplace and which won't. It's an immersive 48-hour educational experience, not a talk shop, not a conference, and not a hackathon. To book your spot at the next Lean Joburg starting on Friday, July 31st at Josie Hub, visit bit.ly forward slash Lean Josie or find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lean Joburg and on Twitter at Lean Joburg. Now remember, if you'd like your audio comments included in a future episode of the African Tech Roundup, drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ATRUComment and our team will make contact with you so that you can be part of the show. Now on to the news we go. Firstly, an update on the multi-million dollar locomotive debacle we reported on last week. The Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa, PRASA, CEO Lucky Montana, has been dismissed by the board of that company. Now, there's lots of speculation that his firing may be linked to the controversy surrounding the ordering of plus minus 60 million US dollars worth of locomotives destined for the South African public rail network that seem to be ill-suited to South African conditions. Whether they're ill-suited is not yet confirmed. I mean, the investigations are still ongoing. Um, but however, there has been reports that uh, the engineers had pointed out a number of times that 
those locomotives were out of spec. Regarding the CEO, Lucky Montana, being fired, well, it's not confirmed whether it's related to this blunder. It's believed that the relationship between himself and the board had uh, taken strain since early March this year. And what about the engineer responsible for this major procurement program who turned out not to be registered with the Engineering Council of South Africa? So he's been uh, suspended as well. Uh, Look, I feel sorry for Lucky Montana being fired, but uh, the the engineer on the other hand, there's no pity coming from my side. I mean, in my opinion, he's not only uh, lied about his qualifications, but taking on a project of this magnitude, I mean, especially with lives at stake without any accreditation or being registered with an accreditations board. Apparently his claims to have earned qualifications from Wits University and another university in Germany totally unsubstantiated at this point. So we'll be following the story for you, you can be sure of that. Now there seems to be a race for market share in the already crowded online payment uh, solution space on the continent. Three big players have announced significant plays in the past week. Dude, it's crazy out there. So there's TransFast, Pay2 and Boss Revolution all came out in the same week saying that they're expanding into Africa or providing these online remittance uh, services in Africa. Transfast, they've been in the game for a while based in the US and providing the services in Canada as well and soon certain places in Europe. Uh, so now they're expanding into Africa to provide these money transfer inter-country or cross-border services. 23 African nations to be exact. They're claiming to be the most extensive network on the continent, which is... Uh, Probably not true, given Paytu has just announced that they'll be rolling out a service to 79 million subscribers on 29 apps. But the difference between them, I guess, is that uh, TransFast service requires someone, say, in the US, Canada, the UK, and soon the EU, to send money online via their mobile directly into a recipient's bank account. They've uh, onboarded uh, 600 banks into their network and um, claim to have up to 6,000 cash pickup locations, while Paytu, on the other hand, seems to be a total mobile wallet solution. Look, they provide the same service, but they took it a step further by making sure that the money gets transferred to your mobile wallet, whereas TransFast transfers the money to certain pickup locations. So, I mean, for me, this speaks to the huge mobile money industry and Pay2 has is, 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 uh, taken that into consideration. So, I guess you know, TransFast is either, either going to have to transform fast or die fast. <laughs> Paytu certainly able so far, at least on paper, to, to scale faster, maybe because of that very fact. Uh, the IDT Corporation, the listed company on the New York Stock Exchange, has also announced this past week that its flagship, Boss Revolution, the international money transfer service, has launched a direct money wallet service uh, similar to Paytu's, but only in Kenya and in Niger. And now customers can send uh, money directly to any Boss Revolution money transfer retailer in the U.S. or to any Airtel money account in either country. Yeah, man, I mean, this is great news for the African diaspora. I mean, considering that with this uh, competition, I mean, it's not only these three guys that are in this industry. There was also another uh, startup or company that launched earlier this year. So, I mean, with all these guys competing in this space, this means we'll have lower costs uh, or lower uh, exchange rates and possibly faster money transfers. It'll be interesting to know what the mobile networks who are engaged in in mobile money services currently. I mean, it's a very crowded market at the moment. I think of things like Mpesa in, in Kenya, which gets mentioned a lot. But of course, EcoCash in Zimbabwe, for example. I wonder how they take 
to this uh, newfound competition. Yeah, but another question to ask yourself is, is the online remittance industry that huge? Um, I, like I said earlier, it speaks to the African diaspora, but is it that big enough to um, have four players in this space? Look, perhaps it's just the future of banking and uh, also the idea that the vast majority of Africans are still yet unbanked and mobile seems to be the most viable way of taking banking services to the masses at scale. So uh, no doubt everyone's making a bet in that direction, I guess. On to the next story now. Seacom has pretty much stamped its claim to being Africa's market-leading telecom enabler and network provider by establishing a point of presence in Stockholm, Sweden. This brings to five the number of POPs Seacom has in Europe's five busiest centers for internet traffic, namely Stockholm, Amsterdam, London, Frankfurt, and Marseille. Well done to them. So, well, they're talking on a, of a connection point at a tier one level. What that basically means is that they're providing a, a, a non-transit interconnection point to the rest of the internet from uh, Stockholm. They're already providing that in the four other cities that you mentioned earlier. So uh, basically the bulk of the internet travels through Europe and we interconnect to that traffic via tier one providers like Seacom. So they're basically adding another direction, uh, or direct connection to that traffic um, without having to have another or another t- a transit provider in between. So this supposedly is supposed to speed up uh, the, your internet speed uh, from, from a user's perspective. But I don't know. Um, that's, that's arguable. What does this mean in practical terms for consumers uh, of their services? I mean, I get to stream my movies quicker, no buffering. Does it mean that if I'm an investment banker making real-time trades on the internet, they happen faster? What is it actually? For the streamer, yes, you would probably notice some difference. Cause like I said, the added advantage is that you're connecting to the rest of the world or to the rest of the internet, not having a transit provider in between. But for normal transactions like your email or banking, as you mentioned, I don't think you'd really see much of an improvement there. But anyway, that's debatable. Let's hear what the users have to say. Let us know if you're experiencing uh, better speeds as a result of this new development at Seacom. Look, its head of engineering, Mark Tinker, uh, claims that they're now the only African carrier with a point of presence in Stockholm and the only one to cover all five of the largest internet exchange points in Europe. Um, with their own POPs. And again, he claims that because they control their own infrastructure uh, all the way from you know global and African IP transit networks to remote peering points in Europe, they can guarantee quality and a higher level of support. Well, it all remains to be seen, I guess. Staying with the ISPs, Liquid Telecoms announced that it has successfully migrated its customers to the AnyCast domain name system, DNS. According to the company, this guarantees near 100% server uptime at much faster speeds than any other ISP in Africa. Uh, now that is quite a claim. Well, and again, it's a case of uh, will the end user really see this improvement? Um, if I'm to explain it in layman terms, DNS is basically the server that translates your domain names like google.com or africanroundup.com to an IP address. An IP address is what computers and routers or IP infrastructure in the internet uses to communicate. So your machine would then query this DNS server to translate a certain domain name to an IP address. Now, with AnyCast DNS, what Liquid Telecom is providing is 
a number of parallel DNS servers that you can uh, do your queries to. So most ISPs have one server for you to make uh, these queries. Um, sometimes they'll have a, a one backup one as a redundant server. So most ISPs will provide you with uh, one of these servers to make uh, these queries, right? So, uh, some ISPs will have a redundant one as backup in case the one goes down. Now Liquid Telecom is providing this redundancy. They've used, I think, five different countries distributed so if your server goes down what liquid telecom has done is to allow you to make these queries to a number of parallel servers and that's what any customer dns does this then obviously improves uh, efficiency in i mean in, in availability of these servers so if your local server let's say in uh, south africa is down then you can always use the one in Kenya, for instance. And uh, already 11 African countries with a fiber network spanning over something like 18,000 kilometers across the continent in places like Kenya, Botswana, like you mentioned, South Africa, Uganda, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Nigeria. And now plans being underway for Liquid Telecom to roll out any cost DNS in Tanzania, Zambia and Malawi. Pretty impressive. Now listen up. If you're in Nigeria and you're about to swap out your SIM card for whatever reason, the Nigerian Telecoms regulator has just issued new rules regulating SIM card replacement. Seems now to have your SIM card replaced, you need to furnish some ID. Well, valid photo identification, driver's license, or such as driver's licenses or um, passports. Yeah, so this is essentially what we were introduced to with Rika in, in South Africa. But Nigeria has taken the laws uh, or they've introduced slightly stricter laws. Like, for instance, um, I've been able to do a swim swap over the telephone and Nigeria is saying you won't be able to do that. You need to be on site to make these uh, SIM swaps. And no one can do it for you either without an affidavit and a letter saying they've got permission to do it. It seems the Nigerian government is trying to curb uh, the issue of fraud in that country around um, SIM cards being replaced by criminal elements. It's a good move. I'll, I'll speak for the South African market. There has been a number of like fraud cases whereby uh, SIM swaps were used to... Um, you know, then if eventually gain access to your online banking um, and, and, and make fraudulent uh, transactions. You know, on the one hand, we talk a lot about countries regulating the use of the internet or at least access to, to networks. Now, this is certainly regulation. Uh, it seems, though, it's regulation that the public seems not to mind, uh, unlike Kenya's attempt to regulate access to, to Wi-Fi, uh, which... On some level, you know, the same issues could be argued. People might use um, the anonymous access they currently have to Wi-Fi for criminal ends. I suppose to be fair to government in trying to, to protect a public interest, it's difficult to know where to draw the line. Yeah, I mean, with the Nigerian uh, commission, uh, Communications Commission, I think it was a, a sober move. With the case of uh, public Wi-Fi access, for instance, it was more of an emotional move, I think, from uh, the officials. Well, I guess that can be argued given Kenya's uh, less than favorable human rights record in terms of, of stifling the media. That said, I do feel for, for officials in, in African countries and around the world, really, that are tasked with keeping us safe on the Internet and, and certainly on mobile networks. Tell us how this is affecting you, though, Nigeria. We, we're keen to know. 
Right, so for our final story this week, according to an annual report, Vodafone puts out on what it's required to do in order to comply with law enforcement disclosures in the various countries where it operates. Only Belgium, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, France, Ghana, Kenya, Lesotho, Mozambique, and Tanzania are countries where no technical interference is requested by governments. It's very interesting. Good information. Um, what Vodafone is trying to achieve here, I'm not too sure, but uh, it speaks to uh, the issue of openness. Um, I guess knowing whether your, your, your country allows lawful intercept and the security levels thereof, uh, knowing that information would provide you with some level of sanity. I've worked in a number of lawful intercept proposals and a number of times you would only have or be given information given access to information up to a certain point so it would be good to know i mean which countries are more open which ones are more strict when it comes to the public knowing about lawful intercept uh, activities i won't ask where you did all that but <laughs> i will tell you that the places where vodafone isn't allowed to disclose what it's doing um, Albania, some African countries featuring on this list, by the way. Albania, Egypt's on there. Hungary, India, Malta, Qatar, Romania, South Africa, and Turkey. Uh, now, the Law Enforcement Disclosure Report talks in, in general terms about the legal frameworks, uh, the government principles, and the operating procedures that are associated with the demands you just mentioned. And, and of course, which law enforcement and intelligence agencies in the 28 countries which Vodafone operates, uh, you know, have come forward to, to request intercept. But the, the report was a little vague on, on some of the details. It speaks to openness, in my opinion, but I don't know what the guys think out there. Is this valuable information or not? Do you even care? I mean, for instance, the report uh, says that in most countries, Vodafone does manage to maintain oversight uh, and full operational control over their infrastructure. So when these intelligence and uh, law enforcement agencies uh, approach them, they have to do so you know, through the courts uh, and certainly don't have direct access to the actual infrastructure to access. However, in, in some countries, the law dictates that uh, these intelligence agencies uh, and authorities must have direct access to, to the operator's network Hmm. And, uh, yeah, one wonders if you're living in a country where that's the case. In our case, being South Africa, we know for certain Vodafone can't comment at all on what it is they're doing or not doing. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're not allowing Vodacom to say anything about it makes you wonder, which probably brings us to our next discussion, right? Yep, this story is a great segue into our discussion topic uh, for the day. Uh, the embarrassing nightmare continues for controversial Italian firm hacking teams. Journalists the world over trolled through the 400 gigabytes odd of internal company data that got hacked about two weeks ago. Some are calling this a disgruntled anonymous hacker's gift to the world. And it seems to be a gift that just keeps on giving. With all this information being available, archived on WikiLeaks, everybody's getting a look in and some major African countries have been implicated. Yes, we'll be talking about the top two embarrassing countries uh, out of Africa. But there's been uh, quite a lot of uh, countries that we came across. Uh, just last week, Tifo and I were you know, going through WikiLeaks, like checking country by country, and the list was endless. So um, we'll be talking Kenya and Ethiopia. 
Now, in Kenya's case, there's an uh, email allegedly between uh, one of the hacking team's uh, account managers and some Kenyan security or intelligence officials. In these emails, Kenya is asking hacking team to bring down a certain website as a proof of concept. Um, the website name is Kahawatungu. It's a, it's a, it's a blog site. Uh, so now, what's embarrassing here is firstly what they're asking for. You know, this is something that can be done by an average hacker. And here we have an intelligence official or security official asking hacking team to do this. And then secondly, um, <laughs> the communication was done through a third-party email. Um, we're talking top security here. And you, uh, people are using third-party uh, platforms. To hacking teams' credit, despite all the criticism they, they've garnered from various corners of the globe, they seem to have turned down this request and, and cited the fact that this blog site is critical of the Kenyan government and highlights corruption and such things and we're not comfortable in, in, in doing this well. I suppose there's a, there's a hat tip in that for them, I guess, perhaps. But the, the crazy thing is... There's an RCS solution that the Kenyan government already has its hands on uh, that they should be able to use to do just about everything they were asking hacking team to do anyway. Again, the, 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 the Kenyan uh, security or intelligence agency has distanced themselves from these emails uh, saying that you know they wouldn't procure um, such services in this manner. Um, they have certain processes that they would follow to get such services. So that that's, uh, goes to say that they do have some remote control system similar to the Galileo that's provided by hacking team. Now, the alleged involvement of countries like Kenya aside, something about this rubs me up the wrong way. Companies like Hacking Team expect the world to accept that they possess the ethical will and discernment to deal with countries and entities that have a legitimate right to access information via interception. They drop the ball and then turn around and say, oops, Sorry, terrorists now have this software deal with it. Something about this just doesn't feel right. I think they're pretty helpless at the moment. There's not much they can do. The, the code is out there. You know, the right capability can use the same software. Now, the question that you're asking is related to their ethics. They've been in the news before, especially between uh, themselves and Ethiopia, as to whether their activities are ethical. They've claimed to not support or work with um, repressive uh, regimes or, or countries. And um, it's understood that they also uh, stopped working with Sudan at some point. Um, they claim to have stopped working with Ethiopia. But have, however, with these recent uh, leaked emails, it was found out that there was still communication ongoing between themselves and, and Ethiopia. They can claim that, look, we're not, uh, we don't work with all these countries or we don't support terrorism and whatnot. But, I mean, these emails clearly prove otherwise. And in the case of Ethiopia, the Ethiopian government allegedly has been spying on journalists, Ethiopian journalists living abroad. What's more, they feature on hacking teams a list of their top five highest paying clients. This is one of Africa's poorest nations, featuring as a high priority client for, for hacking team. I, it just, I, I, I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. And 
I suppose the question I have is, is it even right for companies like Hacking Team to exist? And given the potential public liability that results from their activities, it just doesn't seem fair that they can walk away with a, oh, sorry world, um, for passing dangerous software to to anybody who's clever enough to use it. Uh, we'll try and do better next time. Uh, just keep trusting we'll do the right thing going forward. You could look at it from a different perspective. I mean, uh, if you look at what these emails have shown is a very concerning level of competence from our alleged um, security or intelligence officials. So maybe we do need a hacking team uh, or, I mean, a company of this nature to do certain intelligence activities for countries, especially like in the case of uh, Ethiopia, where you, 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 you're thinking uh, maybe there's a problem of comp- competence there in, uh, in terms of security or intelligence. I suppose the other troubling thing is, uh, to be fair to government agencies and governments across the world, they do have a tough job to keep people safe, their, their citizens um, uh, secure from criminal elements and they do need the means to be able to root out um, crime when it does occur. So I suppose I do I definitely have sympathy with them. I do think, though, it's highly problematic to have these like hacking team totally unregulated and left to themselves to determine who to work with. Uh, that kind of power and level of uh, of technical prowess worries me. Alongside, of course, the the sloppy and very um, disheartening level of incompetence that seems to be suggested by the emails we're, we're reading. Yeah, let's, I suppose let's hear what the listeners have to say uh, in this uh, regard. But, I mean, I'm looking at it from a point of uh, one guy was using Yahoo Mails to make um, these requests to hacking team. This is a top security official. I mean, that worries me, man. I think you do need that sort of third-party or external force to um, implement certain security or intelligence um, activities. I hope this is not you just putting out your CV for your next gig, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Anyway, listen, uh, maybe this quote helps put things into perspective. Our listeners might feel like I'm going on a bit. Uh, Here's what was also stated in the release that... um, hacking team put out before the attack and i'm quoting here before the attack hacking team could control who had access to the technology which was sold exclusively to governments and government agencies now because of the work of criminals that ability to control who uses that technology has been lost terrorists extortionists and others can deploy this technology at will if they have the technical ability to do so we believe that this is an extremely dangerous situation unquote well that's uh, perhaps a depressing place to leave it. Uh, but we, like, um, like Peter says, we'd like to know what your take is. What's your take on some of these discoveries? Perhaps you've been trolling through the archives in WikiLeaks uh, for your own pleasure. Uh, and uh, tell us what you've discovered that perhaps we haven't discussed today. Um, perhaps you're living in a country that's been implicated. Uh, give us a shout and let us know what your feelings are. Perhaps you're of the mind this information is untrustworthy. Perhaps we're all being set up to distrust our governments and um, leave us feeling like they're incompetent idiots, which well, which is good for business for people like Hacking Team because it almost validates the need for their continued existence. Uh, 
I don't know. This discussion stirs many emotions in me, but we'd really like to know what you think. Give us a shout. Uh, perhaps you are involved in some of the entities that have been hacked <laughs> or you've discovered software um, tracking your activities on mobile, on the web. Uh, how do you feel about that? Give us a shout. You know how to do it. Uh, we are on Twitter at African Roundup. Uh, you can use the hashtag ATRU. And of course, if you'd like an audio comment to feature in a future show, just, just use the hashtag ATRU comment and we'll be on it like white on rice. Now, once again, a big thank you to Lean Startup Joburg for their support this week. Want to learn how to fail fast and succeed even faster? Well, join the movement. Book your spot at the next Lean Joburg starting on Friday, July 31st at Josie Hub. Visit bit.ly forward slash Lean Josie or find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lean Joburg and on Twitter at Lean Joburg. I must also thank iAfrican Startups editor and our content producer here at the African Tech Roundup, Peter Beaver, for standing in for Therefore. Did you have fun? Yeah, man, it was quite a challenge. Um, <laughs> I'm usually the guy in the, in the, in the, at the back, you know. Uh, that's, that's how we work between myself and Defo. He's more the public guy, and uh, this has been quite a challenge. Nerve-wracking, I must say. I thought you were going to say, I'm usually the guy behind the scenes hacking into, uh, into blogs and stuff. Well, no comment there. <laughs> of course not. Well, listen, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Until next week, it's cheers from me, Andy Lemasugo, and of course, Peter Pile, who's not hacking into anybody, I promise. Cheers, guys. Take it easy.